Welcome to the 25th episode of the official Espigan podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely. And hello, everybody. It's a three-way today, a three-way between our producer and technical staff in Graz, me here in Kerbent, across the border from Graz in Hungary, and Ruth Anna Thomasen, who is a senior dietitian now working on her PhD in Oslo. Ruth started out with an English degree, which, wow, she started out with an English degree and then went on to do dietetics and then took jobs at various places in the United Kingdom after taking a second degree there. At the turn of the millennium, she came back to assume a senior position at an Oslo Children's Hospital, and she's been there working with the pediatric GI staff on pediatric GI dietary nutrition issues ever since. She's going to tell us today about the pros and cons of an approach to diet spelled F-O-D-M-A-P, which I think should be pronounced food map because, of course, it is a map to what you're going to eat. So food map or food map stands for fermentables, oligo, dye, and monosaccharides, and polyols, F-O-D-M-A-P. And again, it's a map for what you're putting into your body. As I understand it, the concept of FODMAP, food map, is that by withdrawing all these substances and then introducing them slowly, one by one, you can make a difference in how the microbiome and the child's intestine, particularly the large intestine, react with one another and reduce some of the complications, reduce some of the problems of cramping, of difficulty in stooling pattern, and so on and so forth. Have I got that more or less right? Yes, that's perfect, Alex. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, there we are. And when did this come into clinical use in adults? Well, it was first introduced by Gibson and Shepard in 2005 as a sort of th theory of how you could... Um, reduce pain in, in and complications uh, of IBS in adults and and since that's been it's been gaining sort of um, uh, popularity all over the world I think so and as a dietitian I can remember when once this diet you know was uh, sort of uh, described to us and we suddenly had um, a way of of giving relief to IBS patients, which really felt very good because it's it's been a long period of trying and failure for many of these patients. Um, so um, yeah, it's been in use for quite a while, you know, almost 20 years now. But data in kids are not very abundant, are they? No, unfortunately it's not. and. We still don't know whether it's actually a, a diet that how effective the diet is in kids uh, and there's only been a few studies so um, and uh, mostly 
all of them are very different and they have uh, different ways of testing this out. Uh, all from trying out the diet for 48 hours to 60 days. So we we don't really know that much about how kids um, can benefit from the diet. You sent me two articles, one by Chumpitazi in Elementary and Pharmacological Therapy and the yeah. other by Dogen in mm -hmm. Northern Clinics of Istanbul. And both of them took a positive stance toward food map. Yeah, yes, they did. Um, I these both of these had, um, I think, a pretty good design. It's uh, across the first one is a crossover design where both uh, where all the uh, all the patients test both diets, um, both a diet of low FODMAP and a diet with, which is higher in FODMAP, and the other one has a is a randomized randomized controlled trials uh, a trial so um and they all follow up the children afterwards as well to see um how they respond um later and in the first one the the chimpatasi they also look at the microbiome to see if there are if they can uh, identify who will most likely benefit from this diet because there is a big difference between some some children don't seem to have any um, benefit at all and some seem to absolutely have a benefit from the diet so I find interesting however that when you as the lead on a an SPGAN position paper which appeared last year on the use of low FODMAP diet in pediatric gastroenterology you, that was pretty much a thumbs down, as in <laughs> there's no reason to start using this as of now. Well, yeah, you can read it like that. It's I small did bit, read it know. like that. But you, so, <laughs> and clearly, I, I, so I read it wrong. So tell me what I should no. have taken from away. Well, I think that the problem with this diet is that it may be overused. Um, so it's been tried not as a, it, you know, it, the article says is it's looking at all kind of uh, gastrointestinal complaints in children because it's also being tried out in children with inflammatory bowel disease, um, children that, um, well, you know, have other types of, of, of uh, gastro diseases and um, we needed to see whether there was any sort of evidence for saying, yeah, this is this is what you can do. And um, um, as a dietitian, I can say that, yeah, some, you know, some children do benefit. We don't really always know who. And this is, of course, a diet that's quite extensive exclusion diet, uh, although it's, it's supposed not to, to stay on that exclusion for a long time. Um, it's important not to to overuse it either. So I think that what we tried to do was to say we don't have enough evidence to say that it is effective, but we do say that you can try it uh, if you pick out the right children. That's that's sort of the message that we try to get across. <laughs> if if you pick out the right children, 
Yeah, or that's yeah, that's well, a hmm. big, you know, that's that's a big little word that I yeah sure two letters and look at all the difference it makes. <laughs> <laughs> so how yeah, do you pick out the right children? Well, I think the important thing is to to do a, a thorough assessment first and and to exclude things like celiac disease and inflammatory bowel disease, for example, and also that we have to remember that especially abdominal pain and it's um, also a big psychosocial symptom so remember that you know some of these children may not have IBS or they, so it may be psychosocial and not necessarily something that you should try uh, treating with medication or diet so that's what I mean with that you need to have a sort of pick out the right children. Those that um, seems to have these problems um, uh, and and not respond to other perhaps easier ways of, of treating IBS. Easier ways. Or easier or, or yeah, no, not no, so... I'm, no, um... no, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> I just want to pick that apart a little bit because if you're telling, if you're telling a child Every time she approaches the table, no, you can't have that anymore. That's not an easy way to go, is it? No, exactly. <laughs> so that's what I meant that, you know, um, putting a child on a restrictive diet is not something you want to do if you don't have to. And if um, that's why we think that if you you have to really thoroughly assess the ch ch children and pick out those that can benefit from it, which are especially perhaps those with gas production or uh, abdominal pain and IBS symptoms um, or, uh, or unexplained uh, uh, IBS symptoms that you, you may relate to the diet. Um, and also that, you know, make sure that the children before you start this diet, have a healthy, normal, regular diet uh, and not have unhealthy eating habits because that too could give you these kind of symptoms. So I think that was part of what we wanted to say is that uh, it it's gained very much popularity at this diet, but we have to use it with caution. It's not just something that you should just start uh, on whoever. And in my uh, experience, uh, once we had started with this diet uh, or giving dietary advice uh, on this diet in our hospital, we started to get a lot of referrals that we didn't always think were appropriate because it seemed like an easy solution perhaps to others while we were thinking this is uh, quite a, a restrictive diet that you have to be careful who you sort of um, refer to it. So who's the gatekeeper? The dietitian? <laughs> it's, yeah, sometimes I think it is. Um, but I, I think also gastroenterologists, uh, you know, they will, they, they, they are pretty good at assessing who, who could benefit or, or who cannot. Well, let's go back now to what, at what stage then in the evaluation of patients with abdominal pain, does the dietitian get called in? Yeah. Um, At what stage should the dietitian be yeah. called in? <laughs> uh, ideally, I think, you know, a child that does have, have uh, gastrointestinal symptoms that you can't explain by anything else. You, you've tried, you know, you've done your normal tests like for celiac disease or 
um, tried constipation advice and that sort of thing, then the dietitian should uh, perhaps come in and see whether is this a child that has a, a diet that um, is not um, healthy or regular or uh, and is this perhaps a patient that could benefit from the FODMAP diet. So ideally it should be early, but um, we are a limited resource uh, in many countries in the world. So um, I think usually it comes pretty late because yeah, it's it's mm. just saving the resources a bit. You've asked the question in the guidelines that you sent me of yeah. how and who should educate the families and children on the diet. <laughs> exactly. and, you know, when a question like that posed by a dietitian, <laughs> the only thing you can say is, of course, it should be the dietitian. The dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we'll just, but it should be the dietitian in the best of all possible worlds. It would be the dietitian. And mm. we're not quite there yet, are we? Mm. No, we're not. Okay. And that's why we have to be careful also, because there's a lot of um, information out on the internet and uh, not all of that it's good information um so um um ideally you should have a dietitian to to refer to so that the child and the family can get um guidance of how to both exclude and reintroduce because what we're worried about is is actually you know just maintaining the exclusion unnecessarily for a perhaps for a very long period or perhaps excluding things that the child doesn't really need to exclude. Um, there we come down to a question that I wanted to ask you, and that is, does the impetus toward low FODMAP diet come principally from dietitians, physicians, or families? My thought is that there are a number of food faddist approaches to various perceived problems with health in which the parents um, are the ones who are saying, I read about this in a, and we have to try it. Or it could be, as I got a hint of, uh, the, I can't do anything with this child or with this family. They sit in my waiting room all day long and make my life a misery. Here, would you please take them along and do FODMAP on them? Well, I, I, I certainly recognize both, both of those. Uh, and um, I think in the start, it was the dietitians advocating this diet quite a lot because we were sort of finally getting, you know, something that we thought, you know, we can use it. And then uh, after having <laughs> having um, some more experience with it, um, have seen that, you know, maybe too many people are being um, or too many children are being um, referred for the diet. And I think now more and more families are asking for it. But I do certainly sometimes feel that we get these children that, you know, there's nothing left to do. Let's try the diet. And uh, so yeah. um, and then once we've uh, perhaps spoken to the family, realize that this is not a family that can can. Well, it's not suitable for the family. So um, it's grasping for a straw sometimes, I think. Um, but um, having said that, there are, of course, uh, you know, uh, some children that has absolutely benefited from going on the diet. So um, 
it's um it's we we don't have all the answers yet so i think you know it's just um i think the 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 diet is described a lot on the internet and therefore if the family wants to follow it we will have to take them seriously uh if they so that the child doesn't get um unnecessary restrictions in their diet take the family on board and say mm. let's just make sure that this works for your baby yeah, works for your exactly. kid right mm. don't don't exclude them draw a circle that takes them in mm, exactly okay very good <laughs> well I, it's always a pleasure to speak with a norwegian especially because oh, because because <laughs> um i i think of you as really being a quarter Swedish myself, I think of you as Swedes who sort of lost the plot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Back in 19, back in 1905, if I remember right, you folks just got an, it just got some kind of wild hair and said, I, we can't stick it around here anymore. We don't want to be Swedish. All right, fine. You don't want to be Swedish, but, um, you started out with the at the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, you were still part of Denmark, and then, um, and then at the, in the Treaty of Kiel, right? In the yep. Treaty of Kiel, then the the Danes said, "We don't want them," and the Swedes <laughs> said, um, "Do we have to take them?" And <laughs> and it was it was all very complex, yeah. but. Now, of course, we have four Scandinavian nations, and leaving the Finns aside as totally impossible, from the standpoint of a Norwegian, the question which all our listeners want to know an answer to is, which are worse, Swedes or Danes, and why? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm not going to be lured into that trap. (laughs) But having said that, we are, are, of course, uh, a different nations um, and um, they're like our siblings. I mean, we, we bicker and we we fight or, you know, but it, we also have uh, very much love for each other. And um, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to be a Norwegian in Sweden and in Denmark. And I think that's the same for the Swedes and the Danes when they come to Norway, uh, because, uh, well, the Swedes, we actually regard as their big brother. Um, he's the he's the big brother who who um, who he, he he sort of leads on the trends and everything you know. And the little brother Nor- Norway <laughs> was always in the past, sort of uh, lagging a bit in the back. But uh, that's not really true anymore. But we still sort of call them dear brother or söta bror, as it's uh, said, söta bror, which means dear brother. And the Danes, of course, they're they're quite different from the the Norwegian and the Swedes, with more an Italian way of being, more uh, you know, outwardy, and they'll speak out on everything, but you know, very lovable uh, still. So yeah, well, that's 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 the kind of bridge building from nation to nation that that Espigan is all about. And, exactly. But Espigan, of course, retains among its members, among its uh, countries, individuality. And at this point in the podcast interview, we generally ask for a little demonstration of that individuality, a song that tells us a bit about Norway and about your attachment. 
your an understanding of what it is to be Norwegian in Europe and in Espagne. Yeah. What are you going to give us? Well, my song is uh, Har du fyr, which means do you have light. Um, it's a song that uh, is written by a Norwegian um, living very far north. So it describes quite a lot of oh. the harsh nature in the north uh, of, you know, uh, being fishermen and sailing out and having a light that guides you. But I also think that that's sort of what we need always, we need guiding people and we are perhaps as um, health professional also guiding people. So this is a song sort of that I think comprises all of that. And uh, if you have a sick child, you need some guidance and you need a light, something that, you know, uh, says it's going to be fine. Somebody who takes an interest, somebody who stands beside you. Ytterst i verden, ytterst i vast Kan hende du seiler i skuta Kan hende du seiler tilfellig som gjest Kan hende du går der i rute Uansett trenger du et punkt som er fast Der du frakter de skjøre last Det er nok at det står der og brenner En trofast Gammel venn Har du fyr Har du lekte langs din vei Har du fyr Et signal om riktig lei Ei lampe som løde If you would like to listen to the song in full length, please check out our Espigan playlist. That's a lovely way to end this podcast, and I thank you so much for coming to be interviewed today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you.